Have you ever uh, seen somebody after they've undergone a pretty significant transformation and um, not recognize them because they were so radically different? I don't know if you've ever had anything like that happen, but I kind of imagine those people in Damascus when the Apostle Paul, who was still Saul at this point, came in, came into the town to arrest them, and then he was hanging with them. Imagine that Bible study, what it was like, that, that prayer meeting, that first moment when they realized this is the guy that was going to kill us, that was going to take us off to Jerusalem. How radically different that was for them. I think we glaze over passages like that in Scripture or things like this that happen as we read narratives and we don't really put ourselves in that position of what that must have been like. What a radical transformation took place. It was a true conversion. This guy was radically changed. And we saw last week that it started with a divine invitation, right? Remember? He's not looking for Jesus. He's opposed to Jesus. And he's opposed to God. He does not know God. He's a religious guy. But he doesn't know God. And we go, yeah, but he was a Jew. There's lots of Jews that didn't know God. Jesus said that. He called them sons of Satan. You're a son of the devil even though they were very religious, and I am absolutely convinced there's a lot of religious people in our country who know about Jesus, they know the name of Jesus, they know the story of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus and they don't know God. Because you can't know God if you don't know Jesus. Right. It's impossible. Amen. And so this was not some guy seeking a transformation. This was not a guy who given a try to everything else so he thinks he's going to try Jesus. This was a guy who was actively opposed to the God of the universe and God says, you're mine. You're mine. And He gives him a divine invitation to follow. And then we saw divine mercy in that even the appropriation of faith on Saul's part to respond was a gift of God. We, we know that when Paul talks about it in his letters. In Galatians he talks about it. In Corinthians he talks about it. It was a divine mercy when he's talking to Timothy. He says it was by God's grace. In fact, when he wrote Ephesians 2, he says what? For by grace are you saved through faith. A lot of times we flip that around in our minds or in the way we share or the way we talk about it. We are not saved by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. And that very faith is a gift from God. It's a gift from Him to us. And it's a divine mercy to us. That's why we should be so grateful when we think about other people. That's why when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, that, that really means love your neighbor because he is like you. You're all on a level playing field at the foot of the cross. There's nobody better, nobody worse. We're all together. We all need Jesus. And it's a divine mercy that brings us into a divine relationship. And we saw that with Paul, Saul. Saul, last week, we saw when he had this encounter 
What is one of the first things he did? Prayed. Prayed. It's like a baby getting air. He just was praying. He hadn't had a class on prayer, hadn't read a book on prayer. He was just expressing to God and communing with God. And we saw that last week because now he was in a divine relationship. It wasn't just religious activity he was about anymore. It was a relationship where he was in a divine relationship with Creator God through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's communing for the first time really in his life with the Almighty. That's a, that's a powerful, powerful thing. And then we saw because of this divine relationship with the Creator, he now had a divine family. He had divine relationships with God's children on the earth. And a guy named Ananias came alongside of him. Why? Because God told Ananias, you need to go lay your hands on this guy. You, you go minister to him in my name. You lay your hands on him. The blindness is going to leave. And by the way, I gave him a vision of you just like I'm giving you a vision of him. So he's expecting you. And so God was confirming to them they were supposed to be together. And then what happens? It says after that, and this is where we left it off last week, is he hung with the disciples in Damascus. The very people he went to bring to Jerusalem, he's now one of them. The hunted, or I'm sorry, the hunter now is becoming the hunted. He's one of the groups who are an outcast to the Jewish people and the leaders. But he doesn't care because he had a heart change. And we saw that last week. Well, this week, we're going to continue to look at Saul and what happens next. And kind of as we go through this week's text, Acts 9, 20-31, what we see take place in Saul is what should take place in all of us. Not necessarily a bright light on the road, not necessarily having a brother pray and us going from physical blindness to being able to see, but we see things in Saul that should be a part of our life in this text today. When we follow Jesus, when we are baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit and changed from the inside out, God calls us, first of all, to a new mission. When that happens... We now have a new mission in life. Every morning we wake up, we're on the same mission. We're on the same mission. Mike, you were in the Air Force, right? Yeah. When you woke up in the morning when you were in the Air Force, did you go, you know, I think I'm going to do this today. I think this is my plan for the day. Or was there a plan that, that kind of filtered down from the commanding general to each supervisor all the way down till it got down to you. That's what happened, right? Because you didn't know what the plan was. The mission drove the planning and the one who made the call was the general. So why is it in the Christian life when we yield to Christ, He comes into our hearts, that we no longer are mission-driven, we feel like the mission is accomplished once we become believers. That's not the mission to just be a believer. The mission is to be an instrument 
to help others know Jesus and therefore know God in a right relationship with God. That's the mission. We're all chosen instruments, not just the pastor, not just the, 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 you know, the, the ministry leader. We all are chosen instruments to be on mission. And that's the first thing we see, that God calls us to live out a new mission when we're His. Second, we see that He calls us to proclaim a new message. We're one way before we're regenerated in the Holy Spirit. And after that, we have a new message. Do you guys know that you all have a message for the world? Everyone in this room, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, should be proclaiming a message to the world. And that message is Jesus is King and He's Messiah. Amen. He's King, He's Messiah. And that's our message. Our message is not um, what my business is. The business is, a, that's a means to help you accomplish the mission of proclaiming the message that you're supposed to proclaim. But that's, that's not our life message. We all have a life message. And when we come, become new in Christ, we should have a new message. That message is Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is King. Jesus is Savior. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? But third, He also calls us to trust in a new power. For most of us as men especially and most people in our country, we tend to depend on our own power until we're placed flat on our back or we're in a situation where we can't control it and we're made painfully aware of our inability to control anything. And he calls us to trust in his power. Now you think that's a pretty simple thing. We know it up here. But the way we live our lives really demonstrates what we believe about it. And we're going to see with Paul what he did in response to things that God was moving him to do and how he moved. And he starts to trust this new power. And the power is not just in us to be used in others, but we see that power in others, how God uses them to help lead us and protect us and help us and encourage us. <coughs> Because over and over, do you know what the standard in, in the Bible for God's power is? If you see any time like Psalm 121, when it says, uh, I look to the hills for my help. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. The what? The creator of heaven and earth. His creative power is over and over mentioned in the Old Testament as really, that's the... The, that's the foundation or the basis for the power that he has that we should look at. He spoke things into existence. So if he can speak what we experience today as the world, if you've ever been to like the Rocky Mountains or any mountains or any incredible natural wonder, it's not natural, it's providential. God just made it. But if you look at it and you go, wow, that's amazing. You know, the Hubble telescope goes out and shows us the, the universe God made it. Right. 
That's the power that we have access to. Do we take advantage of it? Do we forget about it? Do we believe it's not real? A lot of times. And finally, God calls us to follow a new master. And we see Saul, who was kind of his own man. Yeah, he had to go to the chief priest and get the permission, but boy, when he got that, he was his own guy. He was running the show. He was the lead prosecutor. He was the lead guy. But there's a new master in town. His name's Jesus. And we're called to follow him. And that's, just be honest, is that hard? Is that difficult? It's sometimes very difficult. And so... Let's read the text, and we're going to come back and kind of look at some of these verses in in Acts 9 as we go 20 through 31. So join me in reading, starting in verse 20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Who's he? Well, that's Saul. What's going on? Well... He just got baptized and just ate a meal and then immediately he goes into synagogues, plural. Wait a minute. Saul, you you didn't go through evangelism 101 training. We got got that class you got to go through at the church before you can just start going into synagogues. Wait, Saul, you got to go to seminary. You can't just go out and start telling people Jesus is the Son of God in these synagogues. These people will eat you alive. No, he goes immediately. And it's very interesting that that word is used by Luke here. He didn't just say he went. He said immediately. He is conveying the urgency with which Saul felt the need to go evangelize the people in the synagogues, who, by the way, were the people that had requested from the high priest that he come up there to arrest these Christians in the city anyway. Imagine that. Imagine their surprise. Wait a minute. This guy's supposed to be on our team. And he's in here telling us about this guy who's a blasphemer? Verse 21, And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was Christ. How do you think Saul proved he was Christ, the Messiah? Christ was just the Greek word for Messiah. How did Saul prove he was Messiah? Yeah, the Scriptures. What does Romans say? Romans 10? How will they know if they don't hear the Word? He he wasn't doing miracles. Did He do miracles? Yeah. But He wasn't doing miracles here. He's just taking them to the Scriptures. He's going back to the text and explaining. Now what's really amazing um, he knew the scriptures, but before the Holy Spirit came into his life, which just happened, he 
had no understanding of what Isaiah 53 meant. He had no understanding of the, the Genesis 3 being about Jesus. 3.15. He had no understanding of all those prophecies about Melchizedek and, and the, the, the priest, who, the one who would be both priest and king being Jesus. But now all of a sudden, it made sense. Why? What was he doing for three days? Yeah. He was fasting and praying. And what do you think was going on during that time? For him to go out and then to be... You know, I mean, he wasn't just sitting there like, bless me, Lord, take away the blindness. Help me. He was communing with God and I believe in the same way that on the road to Emmaus, Jesus started with Moses and the prophets and began to unlock what those Old Testament passages meant to those guys, he was doing the same thing with Paul or Saul at this point. That's what he was doing. God is good. But, verse 23 says, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. He was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and he disputed against the Hellenists. These were those Jews who were from outside of uh, Israel, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and they sent him off to Tarsus. Where was Tarsus? What, what was Tarsus to Paul or Saul? It was his home. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Why? Because God was in it. God was in it. He had taken the enemy, the arch enemy of the church, and flipped him. And now he's going to be one of the greatest advocates for the early church. One of the greatest instructors in the early church. He wrote 13 of the New Testament books. And two of them were... Somebody he mentored in Luke. Yeah, he was a chosen instrument. Remember back in verse 15, he said, you, this is a chosen instrument of mine. And we see that when we follow Jesus and are baptized by the Holy Spirit, God calls us to live out a new mission. And did he do that? Right away, immediately. He didn't go through a training period. He did. He was trained in the desert, and we're going to see that. But immediately he goes out. Why do you think he did that? Why did he go to the synagogues right away? Have you ever witnessed somebody who really 
I'm not talking about a superficial thing. I'm talking about a, not a subjective thing. I'm talking about somebody who has a conversion experience. What is one of the first things they want to do? They want to go tell people they know. They want to go tell people that are blinded like they were. They want to go witness to people. You don't have to sign those people up for evangelism class. They're already fired up to go. Why? Because their eyes have been open and they see where they were and they want to go reach out to those that they knew who were like that. He's living out a new mission. And that mission is what? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Not law, not temple, not Moses. It is Jesus is his mission to proclaim him. And that's what he did. It says immediately in verse 20, he proclaimed he is the son of God. The son of God. That's not just a title for God, for Jesus. I mean, it's not just a title for Jesus. That is showing the deity. I remember last week when I had that conversation with that guy who came to my house who was a Muslim. He could not believe that Jesus was God. That He was the Son of God. But that's what Scriptures teach. That He is the Son of God. And Paul went immediately. Why? He had a mission change. He had a, he had a, a, a new directive. That directive was to proclaim Jesus wherever He went. When you wake up in the morning, every morning, not just on Sunday, not just when you're doing an outreach, but when you wake up, do you wake up thinking, okay, God, I'm yours today. However you want to use me, help me to be able to be a witness to you to somebody today. You know, it's funny to me that in the business world, and Amos, you're a businessman, been one for a long time. You, you set objectives. You set objectives and goals. And if our mission is to tell people about Jesus, why is it that we hesitate to say, Lord, I want to share the gospel every day with somebody. Lord, I want to share the gospel every week with somebody. Lord, I want to share the gospel once a month. Whatever it is, why don't we ask Him that? Because we believe that the mission is for us simply to believe and go get educated in Christ. But that's not the mission. The mission is for us to believe, but then be deployed by Him wherever He can use us. That's the mission. Wherever we go, whatever job we're working, whatever thing we're doing, wherever we go, whatever we do, we are to be sharing the good news. That is our mission. Amen. Whether it's on a video game or playing basketball or whether it's working on a work project, whether it's going to the Y, going to the grocery store, we are to be about it and that's our mission. We have a new mission. Our mission is not to live for ourselves, not to live to protect your family, not to live to provide for your family. That's not your mission. God provides for your family. God protects your family. Amen. Amen. Your mission is to be His witness. And to, re, you know, you procreate. You go out and you multiply because you're being obedient to Him. But somehow, somewhere along the line, we believe it's our mission to do this over here 
which is really not our mission. God takes care of that. That doesn't mean you don't work. Doesn't mean you don't protect them. But that's not your mission. You've got to understand what the mission is for your life. What's your purpose in being here? It's not to do whatever job you do. And I didn't understand that when I was in the Marine Corps until that bird came through and popped me in the chest. And God said, Doug, this is not your purpose. This isn't your purpose. This is just a vehicle for you to accomplish your purpose. He proclaimed Jesus. Verse 15, going back again. A chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the nations. That's what he was saying. That's the mission. I'm going to read you this real quick. This is a lady from from Romania. She had become a believer. She was a law, uh, she was an attorney over there. But over in, uh, under Ceausescu, if you were an attorney, you just rubber stamped everything the government sent to you. That was just the way it worked. One day she had a meeting with a client and the, the client was always joyful, always had a, a, a different kind of spirit about them and they began talking. Well, the client led her to Christ. The client's mission was to share the gospel with her. He did. She trusted Christ. Shortly after she was baptized, she says, I began defending fellow Christians who faced imprisonment for smuggling Bibles across the Romanian border or sharing their faith or worshiping in their own homes. This made me a target. Many days I would get up and find my tires slashed. Clients and friends, even my own children, were threatened. My daughters and I were held under house arrest for a month. Once I was kidnapped, bullied, pushed into moving traffic, and beaten by the secret police. For their own protection, friends and co-workers began keeping their distance. My faith was tested daily. My greatest test was yet to come. I don't think anybody in here has gone through anything like this lady did shortly after she went through what she went through. I mean, she had not been a believer long. She just started, okay, my mission is to promote Christ. These people are trying to help get Bibles in. They need attorneys. I'm going to help them. And it brought backlash because that's what it does because we're enemies of the world. Well, late one night after a long day in court, There was a big man waiting in the waiting room. He said he wanted to discuss a case. So she walks in the room. She says, I was taken back at how enormous he was. As he sat down in the front of my desk, his eyes seemed to bore a hole straight through me. He smirked. Slowly he pulled his coat back and reached into a shoulder holster and he took out a gun. You have failed to heed the warnings you've been given, he said as he aimed the gun at me. I've come here to finish the matter once and for all. He flexed his fingers and I heard a distinctive click. And then he said, I'm here to kill you. My hands began to shake. My chin trembled. An image of my body being on the floor and my assistant finding it in the morning went through my head. I was alone with my killer, and yet I was not alone. I began silently, fervently praying, recalling God's promises. His Spirit breathed peace into my panicked heart. Then I sensed His message. Share the Gospel. That's your mission. 
I considered the man before me. Behind those hate-filled eyes was a creation of God. He had an immortal soul. He needed to know about the love of God through Jesus. At once, emboldened, I met the killer's eyes and I said, have you ever asked yourself, why do I exist or why am I here? Or what is the meaning of my life? I once asked myself those questions. My voice stayed calm. He slid his gun back in the holster. And I leaned forward. I said, you are here because God put you here. And He put you here to attest. Will you abide in God or you abide in the will of man? Your boss, President Ceausescu, who requires you to worship Him, but God has given you a free will to choose. His eyes began to soften and his heart, or my heart got faster. The truth is we've all been corrupted, she says. We've gone away from God. We're all sinners. And she shared with him the good news of Jesus. And as she talked with him, the man appeared to grow smaller in front of her eyes more peaceful. Finally, he brought his hand to his forehead and he said, you're right. The people who sent me here are crazy and I do need Christ. He said, I will come to your church as a secret brother in Christ and I will worship your powerful God. And with that, he walked away a brother in Christ. He went on to enroll in a seminary and we have kept in touch to this day. He, like me, had found the truth Really, the truth found them. And neither of us will be ever afraid to speak it again. Her name was Virginia Proden. It is. This article was in Christianity Today. It happened a few years back where the article was in there. But here's a guy who was like Saul who went to kill a Christian. And God says, nope, I'm going to use this guy. Now he's in seminary. And now a pastor. Why? Because he had a new mission. And he's got a new message. And the message was what? He is the Son of God. What does that mean? It's not a title. It's, it's a description of the incarnate Messiah, of God becoming flesh, God becoming human. It's what we celebrate every Christmas. Matthew talks about it. Mark talks about it. Luke talks about it. And, and with the Scriptures, Saul began to teach these Jews that Jesus was Messiah boldly. He proved that Jesus was Messiah from Scriptures. It says in verse 28, he preached boldly in the name of the Lord. He, he had a new message. His message wasn't, hey, you got to go to the temple. you got to be a good Jew and keep all the laws. His message wasn't religious. It was about Jesus. Simply about Jesus. Slow it down. We're going to try to slow it down. So if we slow it down, it doesn't mean stop because we're right. 
Liberty Island was right, so I knew what he was saying. I'm not probably not going to survive this. But since I've gotten that, you know, I don't really pray for my healing of this cancer. I don't. Mm -hmm. Even though I want to live another 40 years, I would really love it. I may not even know who wins the next Super Bowl. That's just weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I doubt you. Well, okay. it won't be Cleveland. I can no. tell you that. <laughs> I can almost assure you that. As painful as that is. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think what I my desire is life. It is not God's mission. It's not God's goal. It is what his desire is. Mm -hmm. What his mission is. Not mine. I've been wrong so many times before I received the cancer once I got into Christ. And, and compare my desires. Even Jerry knows I've always prayed for certain things. Didn't get it. And God led me in a better direction. Now it's hard to see what could be a better direction than continuing to live. But my mind is not on my life. My mind, okay, that's that's taken care of. Mm -hmm. As soon as I take my last breath on this earth, my next will be with Christ. Hmm. What more is there to want? What more is there to pray for? So while I'm here, right now, every day, it's just it's just like you said, I mean, man, Paul sounds like what I'm sort of going through. What can I do for the kingdom of God? Mm -hmm. No, whatever it is, I may not survive, but that's fine. I'm not cured of cancer. Fine. That's okay with me right now. Couldn't have told me that four years ago. I would have torn this room apart. God, something. <laughs> you know, but, it, but, I mean, but I'm, I'm hitting on what you're saying. Listen, you and I go back and forth. I mean, we are like two. They don't know it here. What I go at? <laughs> if they were here, some of our conversation, they would think, "I don't think they like." <laughs> but we know we do. We know we do. But if you're listening, why did they call each other? <laughs> but I had to ask myself. And I stopped coming to SWAT because I was mad at you. Then I would ask myself, okay, when Doug is talking politics, not just where everything said, but when he's in that word, what has he said that was wrong? Nothing. What does he say that you disagree with? Nothing. What do you say that's led people the wrong way? Nothing. Then why don't you go to SWAT? Because I'm mad at you. That's how God has gotten into me and has healed me, not the cancer, but has healed me so much deeper mm -hmm. internally in a way that I don't know would have happened if I didn't have cancer. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't come to God the same way without cancer the way I'm coming to God now. Mm -hmm. These things that are happening internally with me are far more important than me continuing to live on possibly. If it's God's will, if it is will to cure, fine, I'm with you, God, cure. If not, fine, I'm with you, God. What is next and what is the mission and the, the mission as applied to me? Mm -hmm. What am I to do? As every man in here, 30 of us, 30 completely different things that are still the one thing. Spread the word, God. The one thing, the one which, thing. which is the There's mission. so many different ways to do it. Yep. And it's all within us, and God gives us that. That everything else in your life just doesn't seem as important. Like we said, of course you got to take care of your family. you got to where you got to do this thing. But if we're doing what, if we're really going to God, like Saul's in on the sands of me, didn't pray for a sight. That's where I know. I, I wasn't like Paul. I was praying for healing. Paul was praying to do what's next. I wasn't as strong as Paul. It took me a while to get to where he is. But initially, no. I'm going to not praying, praying, praying to heal this cancer. But I just, and it's, and it's strange, and people who are not in Christ that I talk to, I don't 
if they hear me say I want to live, but at the same time, I don't have the slightest fear of death. And they talk to me, man, I don't understand you. Sounds, as I tell me I'm sick and there's medicine doing this, but you sound so strong. And normally I would take that. Yes, I am. <laughs> Pretty tough guy, but I said, no, you don't know what kind of a punk I am. We all it's not me, it is the strength that God is putting in me, because I could not bear to sit here and tell you I'm about to die. Mm -hmm. And just sit here and with a smile on my face and talk about it. I just couldn't do that. I know that it's God. It is absolutely nothing else. Because I know myself pretty well. I know what I can and can't do. And I can't handle this mm -hmm. at all without the strength of God. So, okay, fine. I've got the God in me. Now, in return, God, what is it that you want to have to do? And I see it on the well, you can't. No, 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 no. Oh, no. That's fine, Gil. And and that leads into really what we see in Saul is he's trusting this new power. He's transformed. Prior to his salvation, Saul was a self-made man. He was a self-reliant man, which is interesting that he has the name of Saul because Saul was self-reliant. That's the difference between Saul and David. If you look at those two lives, who did David depend on? David was much more dependent on God than Saul was. Saul was so worried that when he was rebuked by Samuel, instead of saying, you're right, Samuel, I deserve this. This is wrong. I was so wrong. They did it. They made me do it. They, he starts pointing and then he says, hey, come with me, walk with me so they can see you with me so that I, I still they know I have God's blessing. That's how self-reliant he was. And his namesake... Saul was very self-reliant. He was going, by his own admission, he was going uh, to put people in jail. He was climbing up the Jewish corporate ladder, the rabbi ladder. He wanted to be part of the Sanhedrin. He's out persecuting Christians. Christ comes into his life, transforms him to where now he says, it's not me, but it's Christ in me. It's not me. May I boast in nothing but what? The cross of Christ. Nothing. Even when he's speaking, this was a guy who boldly could go in and talk in synagogues because he had such command of the Old Testament that he says in 1 Corinthians 2, what? When I preach, I didn't come at you with words of wisdom or fancy language. All I preached was Jesus and Him what? Crucified. Amen. It's foolishness. Guys, the world around us is thinking that's foolish. But he trusted in this new power. And, and you know, there's something interesting here that we should notice in the text. You don't notice it if you only read Acts. If you just read Acts and you don't go to some of other Paul's other writings, you're not going to catch what happens. But if you look in verse 23... It says, when many days had passed. Well, in the original language, the word pass there is an imperfect tense. It's like a continual passing, which indicates a long period of time. How long? Well, if you don't read Galatians, you won't know. But in Galatians 1, Paul tells us. Let me take you there real quick and read. All right? Go to Galatians 1, verse 16. Paul is talking to the Galatian church and he's sharing a little of his story. And he says, 15, go to start verse 15, 1, chapter 1, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, whoa, wait a minute, did he just say he set him apart before he was born? 
Wow. Did he have did Saul have anything at all to do with his salvation? And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Wait a minute. So we went away. How long was he away? Three years. He preached. Then he went away into the desert. Comes back to Damascus. When he comes back, the governor tried to have him killed and his disciples lowered him down in a basket. If you go to the desert area he's talking about, it's where Mount Horeb is, near Mount Horeb over there. You know who else had gone to Mount Horeb to kind of check in with God and see what was going on? Moses, Moses and Elijah. What they were doing was communing with God to think about everything going on in their new life going forward. Not depending on themselves. You got, you know, you got Elijah one minute as bold as a lion. And then he's running from Jezebel like a cat. He's gone. When we depend on our flesh and on our strength, guys, there is no boldness there. That's a pretty good indicator to me in my own life when I'm, when I'm scared. I'm afraid of outcome. Whether it's death, as you were sharing, Gil. Listen, I haven't, been, uh, I haven't had cancer. I, I've been in two life-threatening situations, though. And I can absolutely assure you that in both of those, one of them I thought I was going to die. But well, both of them I thought I was going to die. But one of them, I was injured and thought I was dying. The other one, I was just threatened to die. And in both cases, there was this piece like she spoke about when she was interacting with that guy that had a gun on her. The same piece I had. And all I can say is that I believe with all my heart, I've, I've been around people who are dying from a physical illness who have Christ and in every case, those people that I've been around at that moment, there was a peace that only God could explain. I mean, it, it was it, that there was this sense of calm, like I'm okay. And I've also been around people that didn't have that, and it's terrifying. Trusting in Him, guys, is is not just when you're dealing with the medical. That's true, but He's talking about dealing as we share the gospel with people, like that lady. I remember one time I was at Hemming Plaza, and I was down there, and Gil, this guy, came. I, I was going up to share. I was sharing with a homeless. I just since God called me to go down there and do it, so I took some Bibles with me, and I was just going up to people. I went up to this guy who had just got out of jail. He was six foot five about 350 pounds. He was a big guy. And he looked me in the face and says, I don't want you preaching about your white God to me. In fact, I'm just going to beat your... right now. And I'm sitting there 
And I don't know what to do because <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if I should defend myself. I don't, I'm, I'm having these thoughts go through my head of what to do. Do I, do I step back? And I sense that peace that just said, no, just keep loving Him. Keep sharing with Him. Keep telling Him about Jesus. And so I'm sitting there talking to Him. And about that time, another homeless guy that was there comes up and says, man, I've been watching this guy for 30 minutes take your abuse. And all you're doing, he's trying to love you, man. Don't you see that? It ain't a black or white thing. He's just loving you in Jesus. And he starts defending me with this guy, and he starts evangelizing this guy. And it was a beautiful thing, but the Holy Spirit moved in that guy. He was a believer. And he, the Spirit moves. Just like the Spirit moved in His disciples to lower Him down, just like the Spirit moved in Barnabas to go represent Him to the apostles, the Holy Spirit doesn't just strengthen us to go do things, the Holy Spirit moves in other believers to come alongside us and help us when we're in need. And, and we, we forget that sometimes. We just think about the Holy Spirit in terms of ourselves. But the Holy Spirit is, is, is used by God to weave this masterpiece of lives together to accomplish His purposes. And we are called to be obedient and trust in His power. And when we find that a lot of times we grow afraid, it's probably because we're not. So he calls us to live out a new mission, to proclaim this message of Jesus, to trust in this power, and, and finally to follow a new master. What do we see happen when he goes to Jerusalem? He goes, he tries to meet the apostles, and it says that the brothers brought him, and they said, go to Tarsus. Now think about this for a second. Saul was not afraid of a fight. He was a guy who liked to fight. He, he was there. He, he went to meet Peter and James. He wanted to go meet these pillars of the faith, the big guys. And they were afraid of him. Barnabas comes along. And as soon as they are introduced, then he starts sharing. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit moves these people to say, you need to go back to Tarsus and rest. You need to go back to your home city. You think that was hard for Saul? I think it probably was. Because in you know where, where he went when he was in Jerusalem? It says he went to the Hellness. There were all these synagogues. Remember what had happened earlier in those synagogues? That's where he persecuted people. That's where Stephen was, was arrested and stoned. So I'm sure he wanted to go back and try to make amends to go back to try to you know to go and go into these synagogues and, and instead of persecuting he wanted to go kind of work it out where he was sharing the gospel with these people but instead the spirit said no you go and what does he do he goes away he goes back to tarsus and i want to show you something really neat if you flip over to uh acts 15 over in Galatians 1, when he's talking in 121, he says, Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. He's talking about when he went after Jerusalem. Cilicia is where Tarsus is. But over in Acts 15, when they're trying to talk about the Gentile churches, listen to what it says down in 23. 
or I'll start in 22. It seemed good to the apostles and elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Bersabbas, and Silas, leading men from the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who were of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. That's where Paul had been. He was planting churches. See, rest doesn't mean you don't stop doing the mission. It, it just means that you may go to a different place, but he was always doing it as he was going. And that's what God calls us to do because we, we have a new master. We're not our own master, guys. That's been the hardest thing probably for me in my Christian life to get is that I'm not my master. He's my master. If God wants something to happen, it's going to happen. He'll open the doors for it to happen. But a lot of times I find myself trying to push through a locked door. Because he's saying, no, Doug, I want you doing this. But God, I want to do this over here. Listen, he, he is a gracious God and he's a good master. He is a good master. He is king. And I pray that as you leave here today, that if you have listened to any of what was shared from this text today and thought about these principles of living out a mission, of, of, of carrying a new message, of, of trusting in His power and letting Him be the master He's supposed to be, if any of that is areas that you failed in, own it. Just own it with Him and say, God, I don't want to do that anymore. I want You to change me. I want to be like Paul in these areas. And then look for opportunities. And all you got to do is ask Him. Ask Him and He'll, he'll bring them. He'll bring them to you. You don't even have to go work at it. He'll bring them to you. I promise. He will bring them. So, um, Amos, will you close in prayer today?